Hi, this is Kathy Rue, your own personal liberal Sherpa, here to guide you through, um, or help her navigate you through, the sometimes treacherous but always bold, adventurous, dynamic world of society and culture today. Progressive society, liberal society, society. From the proper pronoun to the correct way to ask your baby whether you can change Z's, she's, hers, his, diapers. Never fear, your liberal Sherpa, Kathy Rue, is here to show you the way. Hi, welcome to the Liberal Sherpa podcast, and I'm just so excited that um, I have Lee Carter, who I'm going to talk to. We do usually do uh, Kabuto Live 10 to uh, 12 noon on Saturdays. Uh, that's how we met, and she's just, she's gorgeous, she's so smart, and her brain really, really scares me. So I'm not even going to give much of an intro because you just have you have to listen to her. I had questions about Bloomberg, um, and I wanted her to explain them to me. I've always thought she was a pollster, like uh, Kellyanne Conway, but I did a little research. She's not a pollster, but she knows what you're thinking. Um, look her up. Um, she's at Lee Carter. It's at L-H underscore Carter, C-A-R-T-E-R. She has a new book out called Persuasion, Convincing Others When Facts Don't Seem to Matter. It's it's a brand new book and she gets like, I think, one to three hours of night uh, sleep a night, uh, which is maybe a little bit more than me. But wow, her brain, I, I just, you need to sit down. You really need to sit down because I am sure she's going to blow your mind. Okay, let me call Lee. Hi, Lee. Is this you? It, it's me. Yay! The famous Lee Carter. Uh, how are you? The intimidating Lee Carter. I'm oh, good. Stop it. Not at all. Yeah, you are. I'm recording because everyone okay. wants to hear your words of wisdom. And oh, I don't know if I have words of wisdom, but... Did you sleep? Let me help you understand what I can. Okay, did you sleep last night? Because I know you get less sleep than I do. How many hours did you get? Oh, gosh. Last night? Yeah. Um, probably only about three hours. What? It was stupid. I've, I've been getting good sleep lately. Last night was just one of those nights. It did not go well. What? Oh, my. Three? I think I got five. But three, I knew that you'd, you'd be worse than me. That's well, you, you're doing the early, early mornings these days, and the late, late at night. You know, and then yeah. and then the middle of the day. It's it's um. I I think they're trying to kill me, Lee. I think they're really trying to kill me. How do you do it all? I don't. <laughs> I don't very poorly, badly, um, with hair and makeup assistance. There you go. Yeah, that's you, the answer to everything. Is that real? Is that your secret as well? Hair and makeup. Because not only does it make you look better, they make you feel better. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but there's like a gift that they all have that makes, especially the people at Fox, they're so good. Oh my God. Like, I, I think that's one thing that people have no idea how amazing. That's just like how they make you look. It's how they make you feel. Which is so funny because I was sitting there um, and uh, one of the makeup artists was like uh, training like another makeup artist. And I was sitting in the chair, and they're like, look, they walk in, they don't look so great. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm sitting right there. 
and they're tired, but you just have to let them know that they look great. Don't make them feel bad. They're super insecure because they're on TV. So just make them feel good about themselves so that they could do a good job and just worry about whatever they're going to say on TV. And I was right. I'm like, hello, I'm here. I can, I can hear yeah. you. Yeah, it's really funny, but it, it's so... But I thought you meant it when you said it to me. No, it's like, it's right. I'm like, wait, I'm not beautiful and smart and talented? No, they're just making us feel better, Lee. You are, but, yeah. but I'm not. No, stop. Uh, yeah, I'm... Stop, that's not true. Yeah. No, oh, my God. And your uh, Facebook picture, I don't know how many people you want to follow you on there, but you're so beautiful and you have the funniest face on Facebook that you inspired me to put like the worst <laughs> screenshot of myself on my, on my Facebook. Like, Oh, that was, I was on um, Maria's show that day and it was a final thought segment. And the final thought I was like, please, president Trump, stop tweeting. Oh my God. And my face got caught. And then like a bunch of people sent my, sent me screenshots of the, the the expression on my face and so that was the moment that's captured there but you look so good though the makeup was flawless and then you have like this crazy look on your face it's so good it's amazing so i major prop i i did the same thing because i was on a um i was on a panel with joe borelli and you know joe borelli can drive Mm. any sane person insane that republican from staten island and he, <laughs> while he's talking, the camera just, I guess, went over to me, and I just had a look of uh, WTF, Joe. Like, why are you talking? And they captured it, but um, Tatiana gave me this beautiful red lipstick, and everything was perfect, but I have the angriest look on my face. So you inspired me to just to post that. So now I look I love your picture. angry, but with pretty lipstick. So... <laughs> amazing it's, it's what matters amazing. at the end really it's not what we say it is yeah as little what... powder and paint makes a lady what she ain't <laughs> i love it you're so funny so um okay you're not you're not a rep- i can't say you're a republican strategist right i can't say that no you cannot i will I'm not. not that i will not say that we debate I... but we don't debate right as well we don't right. we don't debate we we're on panels together. Uh, we don't agree, but we don't disagree, right? It's- my job is not necessarily like my opinion doesn't really matter um, from from any perspective, um, except for trying to understand what other people think. So I'm trying to represent like what is it that Democrats are responding to, and Republicans are responding to, and Independents are responding to, and what's going to happen in this big mess we're calling an election. And, and so, you, um, so you're, I thought you were ju- you were a pollster, but I um, I did my homework, you know, because I, I try to pride myself in being a journalist. I did my homework. You're not a pollster. You're a strategist. Is that like... I'm a strategist. I'm a researcher. I, I can do polling. Um, but the research that I did in 2015 and 2016 that led to uh, me predicting that President Trump was going to be president uh, wasn't just polling. I looked at other people's polls because there's plenty of good polls out there. I don't think we need another poll to try and figure out what's happening. It's more how you read it. Oh. And then the qualitative research to understand why people are reacting the way they are, what, what's behind it. So it can help you understand the momentum and the energy and the enthusiasm and where things are going. So um, to say that I'm a pollster would be 
I'm just a pollster isn't isn't what my my job is. My job is to to look at the full the full surround sound. So it's, it's I'm a, a consultant. I'm a strategist. I'm a researcher. I can do polling, but that's a pollster is usually just means one thing, and that's not all that I do. And what's the deal then? Because I debated Kellyanne Conway before she became Kellyanne Conway uh, at yeah. um, you know for the Trump administration, and we debated on CNBC sweet as can be in the green room and then when they sat us down at cnbc she was a tiger i mean she was i was like what this nice lady from the green room so but she was a pollster her um her twitter handle i don't know if it still is but it was kellyanne because we became friends off screen but on screen she kicked my ass but it was kellyanne polls so right. she, was she was a poster. She was In a fact, poster. She got her start, by the way, at the very same place that I got my start. So we both used to work for Frank Luntz years and years and years ago. So um, we have similar backgrounds. What does it mean? What does it mean that she, like Rasmussen, like you conduct polls? Well, you don't, but they conduct polls and then analyze them? Yeah. Yeah. But she got her start. I mean, she, she years and years and years ago worked for Frank Luntz. And, and then, really focused on messaging and language and the impact it has. And then what does it mean? And then and then the polls, you take these polls of people that come out of the voting booths and ask them who you voted for? Is that the is that what it well, is? Well, that's an exit poll. That's one kind of poll. Oh. What, I mean, poll is basically just a survey. It's a, it, it's, a, it's a branded word for a survey that's targeted at voters to try and understand what might happen in an election. It's all pulling in. Um, and so uh, to someone who spends their time understanding voter behavior, um, using quantitative research to do that, that's a pollster. Okay. I don't, so I don't get it because I read a poll and I can't remember what it was, but someone asked me because I, I cited it and someone said, well, how many people were polled? I said, well, I think it was like 484 people. And they're like, well, that's not a good sample group. That's so small. So is that bad? What, what's, a, like, what's a good sample group to do a poll? What, what, how many people so, are you supposed to get for a poll? I think it depends on what you're trying to understand. If it was 484 people and you're trying to understand what's going to happen in the primaries in Iowa, that's that's enough sample to predict because you're looking at a smaller sample size to begin with. If you're looking at a nationwide poll or, you know, a nationwide poll of, um, of, of voters, that might be a small sample size. The most important thing you can do as a consumer of polls, and by that I mean somebody who's trying to read a poll and figure out what's going to happen, yeah. is look at what they call the margin of error. Often down at the bottom of the poll, you'll see a little all-caps letter that says MOE. Yeah. That's margin of error. That's going to say plus or minus a certain number of percent. Like 3%. That means based on the number of people that you, you, you speak to, huh? It's like 3%, right? Isn't that what they usually say? Like 3%? Isn't that like... So, well, it depends. Like, so I'm looking at some polls right now in the Washington Post about um, Bloomberg. And they have plus or minus 3.4 percentage points with their margin of error. And that's based on a sample size they have here, I don't know their sample size of the poll I'm looking at. But basically what they're trying to let you know is that it could be, so this says that there's 46% of Americans are favorable towards President Trump. Based on a 3.4% percentage point, that could mean that it's 40, 42.5% up to 49.4%. But because of the sample size, 
that you've got, you can only apply a certain, you know, with a certain level of certainty that that's the number. And so people criticize the polls and say that they got the election in 2015 and 2016 wrong. What I think was really interesting about the elections and what I was able to look at is that, so President Trump consistently outperformed polls by an excess of the margin and error, about 2 to 3%, depending on the state. And you saw it happen in the primaries, and then you saw it happen in the election itself. What do you mean and he so, outperformed polls? He, the polls weren't accurate? No. So the poll said, the poll said Trump was 46 to 49% and Hillary Clinton. But the margin of error was 3.4%. Right. He probably was going to end up doing the 49.4% in that poll, and Hillary was going to do less than what she thought. Because she polled, she actually did, within the margin of error, he usually did at the highest end, and she usually did at the lowest end. And that happened consistently throughout the primaries. And it was just the way it was. It's not that the polls were wrong, it's just that they were pushing the ends of their margin of error. And so I think what we expect to happen is exactly what you see in the polls, and that's not the way it works, because there's a number of factors at play. Like, when you have voter enthusiasm, when you take that in consideration, the person who's got an extremely favorable, like, extremely excited base is likely to get more people to go out into the polls. And that's what we saw with Trump. Hillary's base was not as enthusiastic, and so on the day of, if things were busy, you're less likely to go to the polls, so you're probably going to underperform. And all of these things you have to take into account when you're trying to predict what's going to happen. It's not an exact science because, look, if I ask you today yeah. Yeah. and I'm a pollster and I'm saying, all right, how likely are you to go to the gym tomorrow? Okay. You might tell me I'm going to the gym tomorrow. Yeah. And then tomorrow comes and all these other things happen. Yeah. Now, if I don't understand underneath the answer that you gave me, how committed you are, what's the background, how much support you have, what are the issues that are most important to you, what are you trying to accomplish. I'm not going to understand how likely you are to show up at the gym tomorrow. And that's sort of what's happening with polls because there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Election day, is it raining? Is it snowing? Is there other stuff going on? Is there, you know, there's all other kinds of factors that we need to, to take into play. And so if you don't understand those other things, you're not going to be likely to predict it accurately. So when did you when did you know? Uh, because everyone said Hillary was going to win. That all the polls showed that, and that's what Trump repeats over and over again. When did you know that? Uh, when did you have that feeling that the polls were wrong and that he was going to win? Um, a year before he won, and it was um, look. There was something that was really interesting. When I was doing the testing that I do, which is qualitative research, mostly is what I do. Um, it's not statistically significant. It's really trying to understand people's visceral emotional reactions. I saw there was something very different about Trump than any of the other Republican candidates, and it was because of that that I predicted that he was going to end up winning the nomination. And the polls didn't say that I was right. It was just the way it was. And, and, and there were a lot of factors that led me to see it the way that I saw it. Um, but most of it had to do with the visceral intensity. And the other thing that I saw is in addition to having the Republican support, he was the only one of the Republican candidates who had independent support. Um, and he got, like, it just was, it, it was so fascinating to watch and unpack. And it was, I would do in-person focus groups and have conversations with people that would not say out loud what they would say online. There was just a totally different behavior and something different that was happening. Oh. 
so throughout the throughout the primary <clears throat> and throughout the you know all of the election coverage that we did, I continuously was saying my research is showing that there's something very different going on here, and it turned out that it was right. And um, it wasn't it wasn't traditional polls that was telling that story. It was qualitative research, you know, with a smaller sample size, trying to understand the intensity and those visceral reactions that folks were having. Where do you and so it was. Um, starting in, um, I'll give my brother full credit. My brother knew um, by August that the president, uh, the August of 2015, the president was going to be the president. Um, I thought he was crazy, and it was around November of that year. Um, I kept sort of adapting my methodologies and my research to be like, well, the polls are saying this, surely I'm wrong. The polls are saying this, so surely I'm doing something wrong. So I took my... Um, you know, what I was doing in focus groups, and I tried to take it, um, I, I'd get people to write down answers, and their written answers would be different than their verbal answers at the end of the night when I collected them. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, maybe let's try and do this online to see if I'm going to get some more color around what people are thinking about this. Because the first time that I saw something that was totally crazy, I was in San Francisco, I was doing research, and I was doing research with environmentally engaged folks who tend to be um, liberal. Okay. And this by nature factor in San Francisco. Right. And at the end of this group on, on climate change and the environment, I talked to them about what they thought of the different candidates. And I asked them to react to Trump and other candidates as well, using the dials that you've seen on television. And I saw this really interesting reaction to Trump, where it was actually much more viscerally favorable than I ever would have expected being in San Francisco. And I asked people what they thought about the president out loud, and everybody was like, oh, he's insane, reality show star, this is never going to be anything real, blah, blah, blah. And then I asked them to write down, after all of the different candidates they heard, what they remembered and what they took away from it. And they said, Trump is provocative, something totally different. Everybody was sticking with Trump, and I was like, wow, I've got to find a way to get this information out that's not coming out in other places. Wow. And so it was throughout that process that we... Um, developed and partnered with um, our uh, the the that are dialed to come up with this um, way of testing things online and getting it out overnight so that we could find out Trump had a rally one night what's the impact the next morning Hillary um, had her stuff what's the you know overnight how do we get people's sort of unvarnished opinions and and that's what we did and the research told us exactly what happened and on election night when um, I was I was on air with um, Tony Sayek and Lou Dobbs. Yeah. And it was like the exit polls had come in and the exit polls said that Hillary's going to be the next president of the United States. And I remember talking to Tony and Lou and we're like, you know what? There's a path here. If he wins Florida, if he wins Pennsylvania, if he wins Wisconsin, he's going to be the next president of the United States. And, and if he does exactly what he did in the primaries, which is to, to take the poll and add three to five points to it, based on margin of error, he's going to win. And that's exactly what he did. And I remember being in the green room, and it was Tony Syag, Mercedes Schlapp, Matt Schlapp, um, and some, who else was there? Gosh, it was like all of, you know, it was like the who's who of Fox, because it was election headquarters that night, right? Yeah. And so we're hitting refresh, refresh on Florida, and we're like, Florida's coming in, and it looks like they're winning. And it was like, oh my gosh, Lee, you're right. And, and Tony also knew, and I remember... Um, there was Polster in the building who um, I really respected. And when I was on air on the job saying that I thought this was going to happen, he sent me a text message saying, are you really willing to bet your career on this? There's no way that Trump's going to win. And he did. 
it, it, but why? Uh, so you're, it, it's Melansky and Partners. So that's your yeah. president. So what? I don't. Okay. So explain to me, your um, your your job is actually to communicate with us, with the average people, and at right around the country. You you so you travel everywhere, and ask. Yeah. So my firm, what we do, we're we're a language strategy firm. What we're trying to do is help our clients communicate more effectively. Our whole belief is it's not what you say that matters, it's what people hear. Yeah. So we develop messages, we test messages, and we tell people what they should say to have a better impact. So that's what our firm does. At the same time, we use that same understanding of what people are reacting to to try and predict what might happen in election cycles, whether it's here or abroad. And, um, and so um, using that same methodology that we use to help people shape their messaging, we understand what are people hearing and what's going to work and what's resonating with folks. So we use that same thing, and that's, that's what we measured and tried to understand what was happening with the, you know, with, with the Trump campaign. And the, the thing that, you know, regardless of how you feel about the president, it was, it's like looking back now, it was just so clear what was happening behind the scenes that there was this, this enthusiasm that people dismissed. And by the way, I think a very similar thing is happening right now with people on the on the left and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. I think people are very quick to be dismissive of those two candidates. Yeah. Um, say, you know, they're too far to the left, and everybody's saying no one's going to vote for somebody who's got this crazy idea about health care. And it's like, oh, yeah, do you remember what happened in 2015? Nobody was going to be smart enough, like, crazy enough to vote for somebody who... Um, Nobody was going to be crazy enough to vote for somebody who was going to build this wall and treat people this way and was a fear monger. And yeah. guess what? He won. And I've always said that the person that everybody's reacting to is the one who's winning. And that was the case in 2015. Everybody spent all their time reacting to Donald Trump. And look who won. And I feel like right now, when you look at who's everybody reacting to, it's Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. And there certainly are people who are just reacting to, you know, Joe Biden, to his you know, his yelling and finger nibbling and all of that sort of thing, but it's different. Um, um, you and I talked about, though, we talked about in the green room one day before we went on Cavuto on the weekend, Cavuto Live. Uh-huh. We talked about Mayor Pete, that he had that appeal that you really thought uh, Mayor Pete had a way with words and people, we, we liked him, but we didn't know why. Yeah. So here's the thing. Mayor Pete is somebody, I think, that has a really authentic, genuine appeal. I think he's got a really nice manner about him. I think that people really genuinely like him. I think he's got the ability to reach across the aisle. I think there's a lot of things that are great about him. What's missing from Mayor Pete is his master narrative. What is he all about? What is the reason that he's going to be president? What does you know, what does America look like if he's president different from anybody else? And by the way, every Democrat candidate is suffering from the same disease. I cannot tell you what it looks like different Joe Biden versus Cory Booker versus Mayor Pete versus fill in the blank. The ones I can tell you are different. I can tell you what it looks like if Elizabeth Warren's president. I can tell you what it looks like if, if Bernie Sanders' president. Whoa. And that, to me is when you know somebody's winning. 
Because you can follow a vision. And Donald Trump had that with Make America Great Again. Hillary Clinton did not. In 2008 and 2012, of Barack Obama, you knew exactly what he stood for. It was hope and change, and you knew that it was going to be Obamacare. But you always know the person that's winning because you can picture what the country looks like with them at the head of it, and you know what their signature plans are all about. Wow. And that's I think it, it becomes very crystal clear when you look at it through that lens. And so why are these candidates not doing it? Because it's so obvious to me, and I, and I, I sort of, in, in the book I have persuasion, convincing others, and facts don't seem to matter. It's, it's those steps that are so clear. You can see when somebody, you know, it's, it's like Mayor Pete has complete empathy for the voter. You can tell that he's got that. He really understands who he's trying to reach. But what's his message? If I'm going to say to somebody, you should vote for Mayor Pete, why? Because he's smart? Because right. he's a nice guy? Because right. he seems moderate? I have no idea. And so their job is not just to, to convince me that they're qualified. Their job is to say, what does America look like if I'm at the house? So that if I'm a supporter, I can tell other people, if you, if you vote for Mayor Pete, this is what you're going to get. And Donald Trump did that in 2015 and 2016. He's making the case right now on what it's going to be. And the Democrats are going to be hard-pressed to find someone who's doing it better than Elizabeth Warren. Um, and it's not hard to do, so it's very frustrating to watch from the sidelines. You're like, why aren't you doing this? Wow. So I, so you go, so I mean, I learned, um, I learned from, uh, because I interviewed politicians for the Washington Post for 12 years, so I learned how they ran for office and got to where they were. And they learned how to, it's not what you say, it's how you make the audience feel. So they, yeah. they went by that. That's how a lot of the people that I interviewed ended up as, you know, I, I interviewed three presidents, I interviewed uh, first ladies, and um, they were just a master of making a room feel really, really good. So I always, totally. got, I, I met everybody when they already won, not when they were trying to win. I already met them when they were sitting in the White House. They felt good already. So, um, so, so. So it's interesting because you're, you're analyzing them before the win and I got to them after the win. Uh, so it's kind of easy to explain after you've won, but uh, it's, it's difficult to me to see how they're going to win. I, don't, I, I can't figure it out. And um, I can see, I, you know, I'm excited about Bloomberg because the people I've talked to are the senior advisors to former presidents are the people who have sat in those blue rooms, red rooms, you know, of the White House, all those people who have won, and they like Bloomberg because they could see Bloomberg sitting next to them in the White House. They could see Bloomberg uh, leading the country. They can relate to a Bloomberg more than they can relate to a Trump. And these are the, the, the old school Republicans. These are the moderate Democrats. They, they, they're all rooting for Bloomberg. But when I talk to the um, per a you know a person who's not from New York, they don't know who he is. They don't know the Bloomberg from New York, the guy who rode the subway, the guy who cleared the streets after the snowstorms. They don't right. know. They don't know that guy. But I knew that guy because I lived in New York when he was mayor. So I'm so excited about Bloomberg. But most of the country's like I I don't know who he is. I I don't. You know, give me well, more. it's worse than that, because if you look at the polling that's come out, 
there's only like 20-something percent have a favorable opinion of them, and there's more than 50% who have a negative opinion of him. Yes! But so it's not even if people don't know. And there's only a quarter of people who say they don't know him. Most people that do know him don't like him. And I think he knows this, right? Because yeah, there's a reason why he's not out there as a front man. There's a reason why he's not out there doing rallies or doing presentations and talks. He's doing a lot of advertising, a lot of polished content. Right. You know, it's not, and I think he knows that he's got that gap. So I can't help but wonder, like, what is this guy's reason for running? Now, does he really think he can win? Maybe. Yeah. A lot of my friends say, like, he absolutely thinks he can win because he's an egomaniac. I don't, I, you know what, I don't think that Mayor Bloomberg, maybe he is, but I don't think he's just a total egomaniac. I think he's a very smart, astute businessman who knows exactly what to do to achieve his goal. You don't get to where he is if you don't. And so I can't help but wonder, is his goal really to win or is his goal really to beat Trump? And let me explain to you what I mean is the difference. Because yeah. he's apparently going to spend $100 million on anti-Trump ads. Yeah. I can't help but wonder if his whole reason to enter is because he's like, I'm going to be the guy that takes Trump down and let Mayor Pete win. Because we haven't been able to see anybody successfully take Trump down while making themselves rise. And so I'm like, maybe his whole goal is to say, you know what? I'm going to come in and I'm going to be the bad guy. Really? I'm going to take him out because I can and I know where to get him where it hurts. And I don't care what anybody says about me because I'm Michael Bloomberg. He has nothing to lose. He really does. He has nothing to lose. No. And so I can't help but wonder, is he running... Because he really wants to be president, or is he running because he knows if he runs, he can stop President Trump? And I don't know the answer to that question, because the way he's running his campaign right now does not suggest to me that he is in it to win. It suggests to me that he's in it to take down Trump. And he's too smart to run that way. This is a man that doesn't lose. It was explained to me by one of his BFFs that he was going to run a campaign that Romney was actually going to use, but Romney chose not to. That they were going to skip the bloodbath of those four states, those four primary states, and come in on a Super Tuesday, let the Kamala, you know, Kamala Harris, let all these people just kind of uh, die on the roadside. And he has enough money to come in super after Super Tuesday and put all that money in there and just go, 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 and go for it. And, and that's that's what um, one of his friends had told me. But then again, this is coming from the winners. It's not coming from those planning a campaign. It's coming from those who have already been there and won. That, that's how it was explained to them, that Bloomberg believes He's going to run it differently. And I tried to explain on TV, but I didn't do a very good job. He's doing it differently than anyone else has done in history. It's not really conventional. He's skipping it all and skipping the bloodbath and skipping all those debates and let them all just, you know, kill each other on those stage uh, stages for those five debates. And he's going to come in after all, you know, everyone's on the side of the road and... um 
and then show everyone what he's got. But now, but the polls. You remember show- who did this before? What? Yeah. Who did? You remember who did this before? Who did? In 2008? Another former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani. Right. He said, you know what? I'm not going to get involved till Florida. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and See how that-, that worked out for him? Yeah, that bombed tremendously because he just sat in Florida while everybody else was campaigning everywhere else. Right. And it 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 bombed. But Giuliani doesn't have didn't have the money that Bloomberg has. Bloomberg has endless funds. Right? Well. No. Yeah, but I mean if it wasn't about if it was about money, don't you think that we'd have some other Democrat candidates that were polling a little bit better than they are right now? So what, why is he? So you've you've seen the polls. What's going on with Bloomberg? They uh, because the Republicans they feel every, he's a middle class guy who became a billionaire. So he has a story that Trump has used for himself. The 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 little guy who uh, can make a deal, the art of the deal. But Bloomberg is actually the guy with the art of the deal. He's 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 walked the walk and he's talked the talk. So. Why Why wouldn't America believe in him? Why doesn't he give everybody the warm and fuzzies? Well, A, he's not telling that story, right? It's like, it's an implied story that we should just all know, which we don't. And most of America doesn't, by the way. So, yeah, but are I, we, I, I, I think... As a New Yorker, I know, so why doesn't he... Is it a lousy communications team that he has? Why isn't he giving that story? I don't know. I can't answer the, the operational reasons or the tactical reasons why it's not. All I can tell you is that even though you like him and you know him and he seems like your guy, if I were to say to you, what's he going to do as president? Can you answer that question? Uh, well, I couldn't answer that with Trump. What's he going to do as president? I mean, I was really afraid when he said sure he's going to build a wall and eat taco salad. There you go. Yeah. But it wasn't a positive gonna, answer. Look, and you'll still remember what he was going to do. He was going to build a wall. He was going to have tough trade deals with China. He was going to renegotiate all the trade deals. There's good jobs. Manufacturing jobs are coming back. Tax reform. And then the fifth one that he hasn't done anything about was health care. But those are the five. He talked about them over and over and over again. You can still remember it. Feeling like, China. I mean, remember? Yeah. It was like... I remember. And Elizabeth Warren's doing the same thing now. She's hard to I have no idea. So he needs a thesis statement. Bloomberg needs to uh, make people feel the warm and fuzzies. He needs a thesis statement. He needs those five uh, points. Yeah, and it needs to not be about him. It needs to be about America. That's the thing that I think a lot of people miss. If you watch his campaign ad, you will notice it's very much about, like, Mike Bloomberg is the guy who did X, Y, Z. And it's like, who gives a hoot? What's in it for me? (laughs) So why aren't they listening to you, Lee? I don't know. I don't know. It's very frustrating because it's so simple. Yeah. But I'd listen to you if, so I, if I was and running if you for look president. Back over time, you'll see to a fault. You can always see the person who won. His campaign slogan was about America and American people and not themselves. You will see, like, it, it's just, like, they have a master narrative. They have signature policies. They know their audience. They have a, a, you know, excited base of folks that they target up first. It's like, it's basic, frankly, it's basic marketing 101. Yeah, PR. It's not rocket science. 
but, but, but one the thing that's so interesting, right, is when you're in the room with all the people who you say they're president, they're so charismatic, they make everybody feel like the most amazing person. Yeah. Every person that's on stage right now at the debate, if you were in their presence, you would say the same thing. I, mean, I can remember going to an event with Hillary Clinton in 2015, and I was like, wow. She is amazing in person. Yeah. But... That does not happen when she's on, like, you know, in the, in the, in the different format, but it happens in the room. Every single Democrat that is running for, you know, all 17, yeah. every single one of them, I guarantee you, if you were in the room with them, you're like, wow, they've got that thing. Because you don't get to where they are without it. No, I mean, these are successful people. I mean, you don't run for president if you're a slouch, but um, if you're a couch potato. But yeah, yeah, no, that's my fault too because I've interviewed politicians, so I see the charisma one-on-one. Like, I know that Newt Gingrich has the softest hands on the planet because I shook his hands, but no one else really, I don't know how many people have touched those hands of his, but um, Newt's got a secret with his lotion. I don't know what he's using, but... um, but you can't just explain that to a person. You got to feel those hands. So, uh, which is, I digress. But you know, it's the same right. thing. The, the, the Clinton Clinton had that famous handshake, where he would shake your hand, but he'd also grab your arm, and pu- kind of pull you really? in and and look at you straight in the eye. And everyone said the minute he did that, you voted for him. It, it, and no one, you know, they didn't care what anyone said about Clinton. They were sold on the guy. So, um, so Bloomberg could have that one-on-one, but if we don't see that, if people don't start getting that vibe, you'd think he's going to flop like Giuliani. You think it's, it's not going to work? I don't, I don't see how it works right now. Now that's not to say like, I, I'm not, I, I don't know how to predict the future, but based on everything that I'm seeing right now, I'm not seeing a candidate that is going to get people energized and excited. What about the he angry might have something base? Up huh? That I'm not aware of, but I don't. I don't see it. What about the angry? And on top of that, I don't see a death match that's so severe on the on the Democrat side that the only one that's going to be left standing is him. Okay, uh, yeah, because they all seem to agree on everything. They they all have the same principles, basically. I mean, they're all saying the same thing. Um, with a with a little bit of a difference, but what about the angry base? What about all those angry, I hate Trumpers? What about them? Do the angry people win at the end of the day? No, because we don't vote against; we vote for, no matter what people say. Like, there's um this amazing thing um called the change triangle, and um when you are angry, that's one thing. Because anger is a biological emotion. So the change triangle basically says we have different kinds of emotions. And the bottom, they're core emotions. Those are biological emotions <coughs> that, that, um, that are given to us so that we take an action. So, for example, anger. The biological reason for anger is that you know there's a problem that needs to be solved. So you do something about it. Fear. Biological reason is that you need to run away from something that's dangerous. Excitement. It's an actual emotion that says you should keep doing what you're doing. Disgust is an emotion that's given to you that actually says you should spit out whatever in your mouth that keeps you from being poisoned. Those are all very good and very real emotions that make you do something as a result of them. 
Then there's these things in the change triangle called inhibitory emotions. Inhibitory emotions are anxiety, shame, and guilt. There's only three of them, but all three of those emotions make you do nothing. Inhibitory meaning you're not going to do anything productive. You might drink, you might shout, you might do a lot of negative things, you might bury your head in the sand, but you're not doing anything productive. The thing that I think we need to understand is that most people in this country right now, two-thirds of Americans, they're calling them the anxious Americans, are so anxious about politics that they're not even watching the news. Yeah. When people are in anxiety, right. they're not doing anything. And that's where we are as a country right now. And so, yes, there's people who are angry and they'll go out and go, but that's not most people. Most people are anxious. Most people are in this place that's not productive in this place that they'd rather be sitting at home watching Hallmark movies, and I don't blame them. This is terrifying times that we're in. This is overwhelming. Why? Why? Because we're so tribal, and we've become so afraid of each other. And we've we've, we've gotten to this place where it's like everything is, is, I mean, like, you know, we... You know the truth about the people in the building at Fox News, right? For the most part, they're nice people. Yeah. We might disagree entirely on policy, but nice people. Yeah. Now, what's happened in society is we've decided that if we don't agree with each other, that you're evil. Yeah. And and that's where we are. And so most people in their lives are busy. Most people in their lives are trying to take care of their jobs and their kids and their partners and their parents and their families and they want to see their friends and they're just keeping it together. I mean, we're all just hanging on by a thread, right? I mean, that's the truth of the world. And most people don't admit it, but let's just, like, be honest. When everybody's talking about how busy they are, everybody's busy. So the last thing you want to do is tune into something that's going to make you anxious. Right. So who is going to be the person that's going to get you out of that? It's going to be the person that makes you hope for something better. It's like the person who's going to say, there's an answer that's better than what we're in. There's not the person who's going to say, let's get angrier. And not the person that's going to say, I'm going to beat Trump. Let's get, let's get this out of there. It's the person who says, there's something better. There's something, let's believe again. It's what Barack Obama did in 2008 when people were totally terrified after George W. Bush. And he said, Hope and change could do better. It got people out of anxiety into hope. And it got people out of just burying their heads in the sand. And Donald Trump did the same thing for a huge number of voters. A lot of people think he stoked fear. That's not what he did. Make America Great Again was a rallying cry that made people have hope for jobs and things that they hadn't had in generations. So whoever is going to win now against President Trump, better be doing the same thing because you're not going to win by getting people more anxious and more scared. Okay. Uh, Leah, why aren't they listening to you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't I, get it either. I, I, I just don't understand because uh, I'm like, I, I mean, you're blowing my, first of all, you're blowing my mind. I always knew you were like super smart and scary and very beautiful. But um, you you make excellent points. So, but but the Democrats aren't going on that uh, feel good vibe, uh, except well, except Math Guy Yang. I mean, he's kind of funny. Math Guy Yang, but I would argue Elizabeth Warren is doing this. She's got this whole idea that it is we need an America that works for all of us, not just the few. 
Now, a lot of people say she sounds angry and whatever else. She is not. Well, maybe she is. But what people hear in that is, yes, we want an America that works for all of us. Yeah, I've oh, heard she's that. she's got a plan for that. I've actually heard that from the winners, the same people that like the Bloomberg and want more stability in D.C. and are a little bit afraid of Trump's tweeting. Because there's a lot of, you know, old school Republicans that just there's the Trump supporters and then there's old school Republican moderates. They don't like the tweeting. They don't feel comfortable. There's a lot of Republicans on Wall Street that don't feel really good about Trump. They just don't know what he's going to do next. They want someone they understand, comprehend, and aren't going to feel anxious about. And they've, they've told me that Bloomberg makes them feel very good, but Warren also makes them feel really good. They, they feel good about Warren. They say they love her messaging. They just wish that she could, um, could explain it a little bit better so that everyone could get on board. It seems like... Uh, just everyone's just not on board yet. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not united. The party's still a little bit all over the place. Um, well, that's the primary season. It's always like that. But I think the truth of the matter is, yeah, a lot of people, I mean, I'm sure you've been on panels. People like, if you support Elizabeth Warren, you must hate freedom and money and success and, and all of these things, right? Capitalism, yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is, that's not what people like about Elizabeth Warren. It's like, they like Elizabeth Warren out there saying, you know what, let's make this, this country work for all of us. I'm tired of, the, uh, like, the wealthy getting wealthier while I'm continuing to struggle. I'm tired of the uncertainty of what's going to happen with the market. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines because other people are making all the money, but I'm afraid. I'm tired of all of these things. And she's tapping into that and saying, you don't have to be tired anymore. Come to me. What? I got a plan for you. I'm going to make it better. It'll you, be so much better. And that feels good. You're right. Someone said, though, and people are, someone told me that the one thing Elizabeth Warren has against her is that she, she this is awful because it's so gender, but she does remind people of their mom telling them to oh, clean yeah. up their room. You know, that's the thing that Warren has against her. They're afraid of mom telling them to clean up their room. And that's just the the one negative. When Trump is the, the MAGA hat, red hat, funny guy, and then you've got mom, it's going to be okay, but you got to do your chores. That's well, a, I don't know as though she's saying you got to do your chores, but that, well, I get that. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the mom thing. But by the way, yeah. it's a lot It's a lot better than what people are saying about Hillary Clinton in the last go-round, which was, she's like my ex-wife, or she's like my stepmom. Hmm. Right, so... Now, I think, I don't think that, there's something else that I think, and I'm not an advocate for Elizabeth Warren, please, let's be clear about that. But there's something that she's doing that I think is very different. I think she's leaning into her persona a little bit more than, um, and I think there's something hugely powerful about candidates who are willing to lean into their weakness and turn it into a strength. And so she's turning her, you know, her teacher sort of shouty stuff and, you know, saying like people give me a hard time because I have so much energy or whatever into a strength. Like, She's not trying to run away from it. You know, I think that there's these very powerful moments when people do that. I remember Hillary Clinton in the last election 
There was a moment when people, somebody had asked her, you know, so how does it make you feel when you see what people say about you? And she goes, well, it hurts my feelings. And you're just like, wow. You know, there was a moment on Ellen where she gave a little girl who wanted to run for president someday her own pantsuit. It was incredibly endearing, right? We want people to lean into those vulnerabilities and those weaknesses and turn it into something different. And I think Elizabeth Warren is doing that. So I'm not sure that it's going to be um, her downfall. In the same way, by the way, Trump had so many criticisms about who he was. He was, you know, he was a, a outsider with no experience. So what is he going to do? He's going to go down there and drain the swamp. He's a businessman. He's going to make deals. Who cares about his experience? Right. He's a wealthy, out-of-touch guy. Well, let's bring my helicopter to Iowa and give kids, you know, rides to the state fair. It was like he just he just went full on. That's who I am, and I'm going to have a best time with it and take it or leave it. And I think Elizabeth Warren could do the same thing. Are you polling now, right now, at this point? Are you polling how it's looking right now for them, for the Democrats? Um, I, I do I do, um, I do, do my dial testing for every debate. So the next one I'll be doing is December 19th. The last one I did was for the last debate. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about the last debate was Elizabeth Warren didn't have quite a standout moment as she had for the others. Yeah. Um, I think Mayor Pete had a very, very good night, but it wasn't enough to me to really, like, the, the polling movement on Elizabeth Warren, I think, has been largely because there's been so much picking apart of her plans, et cetera. But I think that, um, I think that you know, we'll see what happens on December 19th and, and where things are going. I know that she's having a little bit of a drop right now, and I think it's not all that surprising based on the outside forces. I'm not sure that it's anything that she did. She's not out in front of it as much as she was right now. But I think if you really want to understand the appeal of Elizabeth Warren, there's a, a great podcast the Daily did called the Anatomy of a Warren Rally, and I think it does a really good job explaining what's going on there. Um, and I still think that she's somebody to watch. I don't think that we're, we've seen the last of her. Um, Biden, I'm definitely worried about. I don't, you know, I, I don't know how he's maintaining his front runner status as much as you know. There's so many candidates who aren't running good campaigns. Yeah, well, he did have a problem last week. He did yell at someone. Oh. Yeah, there was that Bless moment. His heart. Right? Bless his heart. He lost it, didn't he? He lost it last week. He had a moment. He sure did. <laughs> and, and, and I thought it was so cute, too. He was on his, like, no malarkey tour. Malarkey well, bus tour. A malarkey. I know. And and he lost his malarkey. Um, but, uh, so, okay, so, gosh, that, my, um, I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm speechless because I did, I did believe that Bloomberg was the answer that everyone trusted. But you're, you're saying that um, uh, he has to, he has to come up with those feel good um, points that people have to relate to, or it's just not going to click. It's got to click. It's not clicking. Yeah. Basically. I just, I, 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 we need to be able to answer the question. What does America look like if Bloomberg's president? Okay. Why him? Why him? What what what's better? What about um okay, I am gonna let you go because um you're 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 just your brain's too big and I'm intimidated now. So um okay. I, yeah, yeah, no, it's uh it, it's it's too it's too much, Lee. I, I it's like so much knowledge. I can't take it. But what about the squad? What do you think about the squad endorsing the burn? What do you think about those freshmen that are endorsing um, candidates just willy-nilly like this? What, what, what's up with the squad? 
What, what well, I'm you... not sure that it's willy-nilly on their part. I think that's who they align with the most. And I think that, you know, um, I think that a lot of folks are writing off Bernie Sanders and writing off Elizabeth Warren because they think that they're, they're taking the party too far left. Yeah. And that the party is going to become too progressive under under their leadership. And I believe that there is a core base of voters who support both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's far-left policies, um, and we shouldn't dismiss them. They're real. Um, they are excited. They are enthusiastic. They can picture what America looks like under them. They know what they want, and that's a force to be reckoned with. And it's a very hard one to beat, especially if you're not trying to create a vision that's better. And, you know, the thing that so often um, is the case that happens, like what's the what, number one most important thing to you and the candidate that becomes, you know, the, the, that becomes the Democratic nominee? And the answer to that question is the one that can beat Trump. But it doesn't mean that your message should be, I can beat Trump. In the same way that we might say the number one most important decision in, you know, in a in where I'm going to put my money, um, is that uh, it's a, it's a company that I can trust. Yeah. And so their message shouldn't be trust me. And so what we're seeing, I think, is a lot of people who said the most important thing is that I can be Trump, and so my message is going to be I'm the one that can be Trump. Yeah. And almost to a fault, you'll see that as their platform. That's not the answer. Show me that you can beat Trump. Don't. Tell me that you can beat Trump. Show me what America looks like if Trump's not president. Don't tell me that Trump's no longer going to be president. But that's, that's what the they're saying, they're though. But that's actually from inside. The, the insiders I talk to, that is their messaging. As a journalist inside the White House, their messaging is, we are going to show that we could beat Trump. And then when it comes to the end, then we're going to start to show um, how we're going to change the country. So I think that's how they've been trained. That, that's what Let's I hear. Think. Huh? They're, they're reading the polls wrong. Yeah, that's... It's like... That's, that's when what you they understand, tell me. Like, what makes up the reputation of a company? And it's like that they've got, you know, quality products, that they're trustworthy, that they do the right thing. All of those things, that's what makes up a good company. It doesn't mean any company's best out there is to be like, I'm trustworthy and I make good products. Right. Like, that's just not... That's not the way that you market. You understand those things. You understand what makes up trust, what makes up good products, what makes up quality, what makes up innovation. So, so what I so what I hear when I interview my people in the White House and from my sources, um, working in you know I, I talk to people in the swamp. When I hear their strategy, I don't hear anything of what you're saying, and what you're saying is very logical. Uh, but the people in the swamp and the people I talk to have a different strategy. Did did you know that? Did were you aware <laughs> that the, it's different? You mentality? can see it from the outside for sure. I mean, it's it's like I think sometimes the closer you are to things, the harder it is to see. Yeah, and I think that's where they are. Yeah, like they're so close. But the people they're talking to is like our number one job right now is we just have to beat Donald Trump. So we're just going to talk about beating Donald Trump all day long a show how we're going to beat Donald Trump. It's like, no, 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 no. When they said the most important thing is they mean you literally have to beat him. It doesn't mean say you can beat him. 
Oh, my gosh. And then I talked to the voters, and at the end of the day, their concern is, like the Fox viewers, you know, we inter- I don't know about you, but I interact a lot with the Fox viewers. At the end of the day, they want to know that their children are taken care of, they're going to have jobs, yep. and the kids can go to college, yep. and they're going to retire, and everything's going to be okay. Because <laughs> that's They're what- just like us. Can you believe it? Yeah, right. We're human. We just want to be okay. And they're so afraid of whoever gets in that White House is not going to make it okay. So, so far, so good with Trump. Everyone feels okay. And they're almost afraid of um, blowing it for their kids and their families and their futures. And uh, there's a uh, there's a disconnect from what you're telling me, from what I hear from the swamp and what I hear from Fox viewers, it does no, I, I, everyone has a different point of view. It's right. Yeah. Like nobody's on the same page right now. And, um, but the thing is everybody wants the same thing. And yeah. what's so interesting yeah. is that's what we used to operate under. We used to say, we both want a better America. Yeah. We just disagree on how to get there. Right. Now we operate under this premise of you must worship Satan because you disagree with me. Right. Yeah. But when you talk to people, you find out we all want the same thing. Oh, I want I want to have a good job. I want my kids to have good jobs. I want to be able to save enough for retirement. I want my kids to have opportunities to do more than I ever could. I want my parents to be taken care of. I don't want health care to take over all of my bills, but I want to know that I can go to great doctors. I don't want to go and not be able to afford the EpiPen. I don't think that's fair. I don't think we all agree on these things. We're all the same. Yeah. But, yeah, but they're not, Lee, they're not listening to you. The The people that I interview before I go on my segment have a completely different perspective than what you're telling me, than what, that you, what you're, from the, from what you're seeing, from the, the work you're doing. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, and I'm wondering if I should give them your phone number because they really need to talk to you. Because uh, you seem sure, to have your finger, <laughs> you have like your finger on the pulse of America. Is that basically your job? The, you're having your finger on the pulse of America, knowing uh, what every state's feeling. Do you feel that you understand the red and the blue states? You, you. It's my job to understand the target audience of the folks I'm talking to. So it's like I will always tell you that I am never the most important person. In any of my engagements, my job is to understand other people. And so that's what I do. Um, and I know you, you wrote a, a book because you don't, yes. you don't, because you don't sleep. So, so what, what's the book? Is it, is it, is it you explaining all of this? What's. Yeah. What? So the book is called Persuasion, Convincing Others When Facts Don't Seem to Matter. And the whole premise of the book is the nine steps that you need to go through to create your own persuasion plan to convince anybody of anything. So it's how you could develop your own, you know, if you wanted to run for president, how could you do that? Um, if you want to convince anybody of anything. And so that's what it, it, it's all of these steps in a nutshell. So it's from what you've learned. It's what you've learned. Over from what I've learned along the way from, from tracking the, um, uh, from tracking the uh, campaigns to advising clients on how to communicate more effectively. My God, you're like uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I hope so. You, Go and buy the book. You are. Seriously, where do I buy it? Amazon? 
Amazon.com. Amazon.com. Lee Carter, L-E-E, and then Carter, like Jimmy Carter. All right. Well, thanks so much for having me on. This is great. Yeah, you got to go save the world, and and you haven't slept. Go take a nap and then save the world. Okay, I'll do that. You're a genius, and I'll see you on Cavuto. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye, girl. Thanks. Thanks, bye. Bye. Mind blown. My God, Lee never disappoints. Okay, well, my mind is blown. Um, So apparently I'm part of the swamp. Um, I just am too close. I've worked for the government, and my sources are in D.C., and Lee is all over the place and has her pulse um, on everyone's wrist in America. Okay, definitely look her up at uh, LH underscore Carter. Get her book, Persuasion. Uh, as you could tell, she's amazing. Go to Facebook and look her up. She has the funniest profile picture ever. And she made me, um, she influenced me to change mine. So now mine's ridiculous as well. And maybe she'll influence you to change yours. And you will look ridiculous as well. Who needs good profile pictures anyway? Okay, so before asking Lee about Bloomberg, I asked you to tell me what you thought about Bloomberg. And um, I asked you on Twitter, and my handle's at Aru Kathy, A-R-E-U-C-A-T-H-Y. You can always reach me there. Okay, so this is what you had to say about Bloomberg. Um, I picked out about five comments, six comments. Um, okay, ready? This is from Steve Hamrick. It's at H-A-M-R-I-C-K, Steve. And he says, Bloomberg wants to control the voters' lifestyle. Eat this. Don't drink that. You can have this. You can't have that. Uh, I think Steve's referring to Bloomberg trying to control, like, how big the sodas were in New York when he was mayor. And um, the straw, I guess, did he control straws or is that um, was that in California? Uh, but yeah, that Bloomberg was really controlling what you can eat, putting calories on menus and stuff like that. So I think that's what Steve's talking about. Um, but I can't read your mind, Steve, but that's, that's what I think you're saying. Okay. This is from, uh, Tyree Bruce at T Y L E I G H 64. She says his ads are everywhere yet. She's ahead still weird phenomenon. So, um, by she, I'm thinking Warren here, um, his ads are everywhere. Yeah. People have said that he's, um, he's, uh, basically, putting them everywhere, uh, on the internet, TV. Yeah, we've seen them. You're right. Um, okay. Then we have, this one is from God bless America at JJA 1958. He is weak. Um, then he said he should have been in the race since the beginning. If he thought he could be the best candidate, Bloomberg literally bought a third term as mayor in New York. That's weak. Uh, I don't agree. God bless America. Um, he he became third term mayor, but he didn't earn a dollar. They said he gave more to the city than he took. He gave, I think, like 64 million bucks to the city while he was mayor. Um, this is from Michael. Has nothing to do with Bloomberg. Um, at M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-H-M-I-K-E-L. Says, I disagree with... Um, 99.999999% of what you say, but I like you. Happy face. So that was for me, not about Bloomberg. So thanks, Michael. Hey. Um, okay. 
And here is another one. So interesting. This is from Joel Bedinsky at J-B-I-T-T-E-N-S-K-Y. Um, right here. Very interesting. Uh, it says, I really don't trust any polls, but this shows that Warren is sinking. So that's a little... Um, Uh, comment about how Warren's doing, but here's a Bloomberg opinion. It may be that Bloomberg's campaign is just getting underway, but his poll numbers just aren't there yet. But at the same time, I don't believe he appeals to a majority of the people. Maybe just to more mature sector. There is also an image of him being a nanny, telling people what to drink, etc. Just like what Steve said. Um, Sorry, I just added that in. Um, He didn't say that. Uh, There's also a billionaire thing oh my god he spelled it b-i-l dash y-u-n dash a-i-r the a-i-r sorry billionaire thing which is um uh oh my gosh and anathema anathema in parentheses i like to use big words sometimes oh come on dude that's so hard to read um too many on the dem side however when you look at the quality or lack thereof among the candidate list he is competing against i think that really reveals a marked weakness on his part and he is not a young man one year younger than senator sanders by the way may i say that it is an extreme privilege to be able to discuss politics or anything else with you thank you very much so darn sweet thank you so much um that was amazing. Uh, basically, not much love for Bloomberg. So I will be responsible for all the love for Bloomberg. Go to uh, cameo.com to see my tribute to Bloomberg um, and uh, Mariah Carey extra festive Christmas video that I made for a wonderful veteran, Bob Brown. And that's my love for Bloomberg because all of you don't seem to have any. All right. See you later. Bye. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers.